suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this plainly, and you know how they responded? Peter rebuked him. (laughs) No, Lord, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. Rough paraphrase. But turning to see his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And we have to ask the question, why did the disciples miss the cross, miss the message of the cross? Why do so many people miss the message of the cross? Why didn't they understand? And notice here it says also in the scripture, they were afraid to ask him what he was talking about. Why were they afraid to ask him? Now, it's very possible here that the disciples suppose that Jesus was just speaking metaphorically, that I have to die and, you know, I kind of have to go down before I go up, you know, but he was here. He was the Messiah. He's going to be setting up God's kingdom. What do you mean you're going to die? You know, it's amazing how much we hear that we just plain miss because we already know what's going to be said. Now, if you're married, you know very much what I'm talking about, don't you? We have certain things that we expect our spouse to hear, and when they start, we hear the first couple of words. We were with the Andersons this afternoon. They were talking about a different way of learning to read and, and how learning to read, some people were taught, to, they only saw the first couple of words, and then they filled in the rest. You know, have you heard of the communication grid? It's kind of like whisper down the lane. There's what I think, how I communicate what I think, what you hear me communicate, and how you interpret what you hear. And so you see a lot of changes between what is said and what is understood. And this is what was happening here. And this is what happens. Why do we miss things that are said, even from those that we're trying to learn from? Well, one reason is we assume we already know what the other person is saying. Pastor Taylor, if you were with us for worship this morning, showed that in the Gospel of John how people missed what Jesus was saying because they had already decided what he was going to say. They already knew. So all that they were doing was kind of filling in cracks of what was already there in their own minds. Second reason is we're convinced that we already know certain things. And so if we're hearing anything that contradicts what we're already convinced of, we must be misunderstanding it. The people knew what the Messiah was all about. And so when Jesus said he was going to die and rise again, obviously that must be metaphorical because he's the Messiah. Sometimes we miss things, especially those of us with ADD, because we're distracted by other things. I love the movie Up. Squirrel? You know, we just, we're, we, the squirrels are all over the place, aren't they? And so we, we miss many important things because we're distracted. Another reason is because we really don't want to hear what's being said. Why do you think the disciples were reluctant to ask Jesus for clarification that they didn't understand? Because resurrection was always in the context of what? His impending death. And this would have removed that sense of loss of the disciples only understood what he was saying. He had told his disciples if they wanted to follow him, they'd need to deny themselves and follow him. Back in chapter 8. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Well, obviously, 
they didn't hear that message very well, did they? Because what were they discussing after he told them he was going to die and rise again, and they're walking along, and they're arguing over what? Who's most important? Who's going to have the best seat in the house? And that wasn't the only time that they did that. Another time, James and John's mother came and another time, can I have the right and the left seat, the seats of honor? A fifth reason is we do not ask questions when we don't understand. Many remain ignorant because they're ashamed to inquire. You know, we all recognize we're sinners. One title of a book that I often recommend, you don't have to read the book, just remember the title. It says, When Sinners Say I Do. Basically, two points. Don't be surprised when the person you're with turns out to be a sinner. Point number two, don't be surprised when you turn out to be a sinner. And if we can just remember, you don't have to understand what a sinner is. We all have some basic concept of oh, a sinner. In fact, why do we get so offended when somebody calls us a sinner? Because we understand we are. We're ashamed to ask the question. So the first point is the cross is offensive to us. We naturally tend toward the point of least resistance, the most comfortable, the most enjoyable path. And if we're not willing to take the path of the cross, if we do not see the absolute necessity of Christ taking that path for us, we'll miss a large portion of what he was saying to us and we'll end up on paths which will dishonor him and embarrass us. And Kathy was one who very much had chosen to walk that path of the cross. Did you walk it perfectly? Absolutely not. (laughs) Talk about two sinners living together. You just talk with Kay and Kathy about sharing a house together. (laughs) The second thing we see in this passage is the temptation of status. He asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the way? And they remained silent because they knew what they had been discussing was rather foolish. The dispute resurfaced again two chapters later when James and John asked if they could sit in the right and hand left. Interestingly enough, once again, it immediately followed Jesus' prediction of his coming death and resurrection. It's like every time he talked about his coming death and resurrection, they fell back into this trap of, okay, he's going to take it now. We're going to to go down a little bit, but then he's going to set up his kingdom, and I'm going to be in the position where I want to be. One thing we need to see here is even the most godly among men are motivated by status and power. We all struggle. We all have that, that natural tendency. In our text this morning, the argument is over the, who are the greatest. So what do you think that might have sounded like? Perhaps it was the fact that Jesus had only taken three of them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. So obviously, oh, you know, we're more important than you are. You weren't even invited up to the mountain. Well, whatever its cause, maybe it was a failure of the other nine to, to, to cast out a demon when they came down. Whatever its cause, it showed the twelve didn't understand the concept of what Jesus' coming crucifixion meant for them. And so what were they saying to each other? Kathy was one who, although no one would say that she lived it perfectly, certainly understood that that meant being a servant. Maybe they were arguing about who would be given the most important places of authority when Jesus established his throne, as when James and John request the most prestigious seats in the next chapter. Maybe they were playing the one-upmanship game. You know what that is. Can you top this? Oh, you think you were bad. Wait until you hear what I did. It's amazing, isn't it, how we like to try to one-upmanship even in the bad things? Are we willing to be thought less of by others as long as we're at peace with God, as long as he is glorified? Are we willing to be perceived as weak if only God is glorified? It would certainly seem that the disciples knew the wrongness of their debate. 
A sense of embarrassment that they had certainly shows that. So the second point is we need to consciously and intentionally resist the urge to be first, to have others look up to us. We have to constantly repent of our natural tendency to compare ourselves with others, favorably or unfavorably. We need to let go of our concern of what others think of us. Rather, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set him before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And finally, we see the way of greatness. And Kathy was, again, a good example of that because she was one whose greatness was not because she was some important leader, somebody who held office and everybody looked to, but she was one who was hard to outserve, wasn't she? She was one who was constantly one of the first to step forward. Something needed to be done. My, my first came here as the pastor. We didn't have VBS the first year I was here. You may or may not remember that. You know why? Because no one stepped forward to lead it. And my philosophy as a pastor was, I'm not here to do the work of ministry. I'm here to help you do the work of ministry. And so when nobody stepped forward, the following year, Kathy stepped forward and she never let it go as long as she was able to do it. You see the, this third, the way of greatness. He said to them all, if anyone really, really, if you really want to be first, what's the key? You've got to be the last and the servant of all. It goes on to say, whoever receives a child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me who sent me. And Kathy, again, was one who served and loved children. You see, servant greatness. If anyone will be first, he must be last. That's a radical statement. It's countercultural. The world's philosophy is that you're great if others are working for you. But Christ's message was that greatness comes from serving others. We're celebrating the life of a great woman today, aren't we, this afternoon? Because she was a woman who was a servant. The disciples were debating among themselves who was the best or the greatest, but you can be sure they weren't debating about who was the greatest servant. I think of two people. We're not here. Matt Zale isn't here, so I can embarrass him while he's not here. But he, was, he and Kathy, in my time here, were the two that were the hardest to outserve. It just seemed like you couldn't do anything more than they would because they had such servants' hearts. The disciples went the exact opposite direction in their debate. The way of greatness, God says, is to serve. And we look at this passage again, we realize that repetition is one the Hebrew way of, of emphasis. This was the second or third or fourth time Jesus repeatedly said, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die. Before I'm resurrected, I need to die. And he went on to say, I have not come to be served, but to serve. My friends, again, repetition, repetition, repetition. The emphasis here, the bottom line is we need to consciously and intentionally humble ourselves before God and before each other. This is the way that we'll be... This, in this way, the way we treat each other, particularly those we find difficult or in some way hard, those who we feel we don't deserve to be served, that is where we will see Christ in us. And so as we think of Kathy, I think the thing that I hope we'll all remember more than anything else is that she was a servant. She epitomized one who came not to be served, but to serve she gave her life to bring the gospel to children. She lived to the best of her ability 
in her desire to see God glorified. Did she do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But my friends, let's remember the fact that Jesus came to redeem sinners. Kathy would have said she was the chief among them, but she wasn't trusting in her own goodness, and she didn't serve for her own benefit. She served for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much for giving us this example of greatness in the person and life of Kathy Bixler. We thank you for the many children whose lives were touched by her ministry. But even more than that, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life so that we might have life, so that we might have hope of resurrection, so that we might be able to know that when a body is absent, when the spirit is gone, it's not because they've died, but rather because they've gone home to be with you. Father, we pray that those of us who have come to understand and embrace the gospel would indeed not fear death or grieve as those who have no hope. But we pray also for those who have not yet come to understand that hope that we have, that they also might <coughs> see the necessity of being a servant the necessity of believing that Jesus died for them so that we might have life, believing that he conquered death. And may we believe that as we remember Kathy Bixler. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, turn with me in your will and your hymnals uh, to number...